0: well Colossians Colossians chapter 1 well when Paul sat down to write this letter he wasn't writing to uh, people that he knew he was writing to people who he had heard had believed as he says there in uh, in verse 4 we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and yet he was writing as he always was really in all these letters against a, a background of people being tempted to fall away from a Christ centered version of the gospel and the Supposedly difficult passage that we have in this this hymn of praise to Jesus that we have um, beginning in, in verse fifteen um, is the image of the invisible God, etc. By him were all things created in heaven and on earth. I think the the practical purpose of that uh, hymn of exaltation to the Lord Jesus is to try to tell the Colossians if he is that highly exalted, you also should be exalting him in your minds and I think he's writing also in the background of against the background of all kind of heresies Um, you can actually go through Colossians and kind of reason back from some of the uh, things that he's warning against uh, and work out a a version I suppose of what's been called the the Colossian heresy Um, so he's writing against false teaching, he's writing against the influence of uh, Judaizers as well as uh, Gentile philosophy and especially he's trying to appeal to people to be Christ-centered. And that is typical of all his all his letters. <clears throat> and notice how he says there in verse 4 that, uh, We heard of your faith in Christ and of the love which you have to all the saints. And he puts it another way in verse 6 where he says, The gospel has come to you and brings forth fruit in you. Well, the fruit that he brought forth was love, as he calls it, verse 4, for all the other believers. And this is putting in different language what is recorded in John 17 where the Lord Jesus prays that they might be one and that the unity, the love that is to be shown between believers is to be powerful enough, Jesus predicted, to convert the world. And I think there's an allusion to that here where Paul in in quite different language is saying the same thing. So then it's not simply a a question of believing and accepting certain truths and being baptised accepting Christ as in a set of ideas about him but it must issue in love for, as he puts here, the, uh, for the saints of course for, for all men but particularly for the other believers because the church, the, the ecclesia, the body of believers is intended to be a light in this darkness to to show people love and it worked with the Colossians, he had never actually met them but he says, I've already heard of you because of I've heard of your love, it was so radical this love that was going on between those early converts that it actually spread out to whatever Paul was living at the time and he had heard of it even there But hey, do you know, in that little town of Clossy, well it wasn't such a little town but in that, uh, in that town of Clossy there's a bunch of people who believe in somebody called Jesus and you know their love for each other is amazing and that had just spread out throughout uh, the the world where where they lived that 's really quite a testimony and it 's a real challenge of course to to us and it is a, a terrible tragedy that the church the the ecclesia is so sadly and bitterly divided because really we are not making that witness and I would go so far as to say that in in groups or I suppose subgroups of the the body of Christ where love really does work like it says here, like it did in Clossy they are the people who are converting other people because of that something unusual that really sticks out when people intersect with us and so he rejoices, verse 5 for the hope that they have that is laid up for you that 's the same word he uses in two Timothy four verse eight where he says that a crown of righteousness is laid up for him as he faced his death. he knew it was laid up for him, so then the nature of each of our battles in this life is unique it 's different for each one, and therefore our crown the the wreath of victory, is going to differ for each of us, like in the parable, we will each have different towns to rule over, one gets five two towns to, to rule over but it's all different and that reward has been prepared there is a destiny prepared there is therefore a path in, in life and what we're going for is not mere existence, existing each day as it, as it comes, as it hits us but there is actually a path that is leading to a very specific eternity, a, a specific nature of that eternity that has been prepared, been prepared for, for each of us. Because the kingdom, the eternity ahead, will be different in one sense for each of us. In one sense, it's a penny a day for each of us. But in another sense, how we will uh, experience that kingdom will be different because we are each unique. And that is why there is this specific hope that was uh, preserved in heaven, is preserved in heaven for. The Colossians, for Paul uh, and for each of us and so this uh, message that, that we have here, this this gospel that has come to us as it has all over the world it is really pictured here as a, a very mighty very personal force that's working powerfully in the lives of men and women bringing forth fruit and so he, he says there in verses 9 and 10 that he prays that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will In all wisdom and understanding That you might walk, that you might live Worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing Being fruitful in every good work And increasing in the knowledge of God So he suggests that understanding Is related to bringing forth fruit And he's defined that fruit in verse 4 and 6 As love for all the saints Now how can understanding bring forth love for others well certainly the Hebrew word for understanding is also the same word for certainty um, you've got it in Joshua 23:13, know for a certainty some versions say understand for sure so the idea is, is not so much of academic understanding that doesn't lead to love, you know, knowledge in that sense puffs up as opposed to the love that builds up and yet if we are Certain, if we understand for sure that by grace I really am going to be in God's kingdom that that day of judgment that that final meeting of ourselves and and the Lord Jesus is not some huge uncertainty some huge question mark at the end of our destiny but if we are secure in his love then we have that certainty that understanding which inevitably leads to love. How does it lead to love? If you know for sure that you by grace, if the Lord Jesus comes back right now, that you by grace are going to live forever in his kingdom with this wonderful hope reserved, laid up for you in heaven, that's going to be given to you when the Lord Jesus returns from heaven to earth to give it to you. That has to issue in something, and it issues in the end in love for other people. This is where we get the final motivation to be patient, to be kind, to be forgiving, to search out other people's needs and and do something about them so then we are made suitable uh, uh, to inherit God's kingdom, verse 12 he has made us, the AV says, meet, that is appropriate to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light to share in the inheritance of the uh, of the believers or the saints it could even be saying, uh, saying that we're going to be made like angels but um, it depends how you read the, uh, the saints there um, but my point is that we are being made suitable now how can it be that you and I can stand before the, ju- the day of judgment and it is appropriate that we will be in his kingdom that it's the right thing that we should be partakers uh, of the inheritance of the saints in light how can this be now you've got another similar kind of challenge to our thinking in verse 22 that through the Lord's death he, he died to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight in his eyes now how can this be that as he looks at us. At the day of judgment. There is nothing to reprove. He sees us as holy. And without any blame. When we are sinners. And it's brought together. I think in Jude 24. Where we have a, a verse that. Still takes my breath away really. Jude 24. Right at the uh, the end there of Jude. He says. that We shall be presented. Faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. How can we be presented faultless? Now, I want to emphasize, presented faultless. And you've got it again here, in Colossians 1.22, to present you, unreprovable, in his sight. Now, it is in his eyes, and of course it's his eyes and his opinion that that matter more than anything else. In his eyes, he will present us, as it were, to himself. Uh, as Paul says in, another play, in, in Ephesians, uh, we shall be presented without spot, as a bride without anything wrong with her. Now, why would a young man look at uh, the girl he's going to marry and see no fault in her? Well, because he loves her. And really, love is a seeing of someone as without fault. Not that they do not have fault but seeing them in your eyes as if they do not and putting it in another another, uh, way, this is what Paul means in Romans when he talks about imputed righteousness, that we shall be counted righteous, that we are counted righteous this is the whole idea, that if you believe you are justified, you are counted right in his eyes, and it's his eyes it's his opinion, which is the only opinion that, that matters and this then is our status, and this is the bit that really takes the breath away, this is our status even now, in his eyes. And yet how does all this sort of work out? Does it just mean that, um, you know, well, he happens to want to look at us like that? Well, it is a bit like that. In the parable of the uh, wise and foolish virgins, uh, he praises, sorry, of the... um, in the part of Matthew 25, uh, 37, he, he, he praises the faithful for all the good deeds they did. Um, he says, You know, when I was hungry, you fed me, and I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, and they'll say, No, we didn't. In other words, he sees them as, I think, more righteous than they really were. But anyway, that's how he sees us. That is our status. But it doesn't just stop there. I would say that really reasoning from Romans 8 here that okay that is the status that we have but we are to try to live out that status in practice now and Romans 8 seems to be saying that through God's work on the human mind through his spirit right now he is actually trying to change us in reality in practice into what he sees us as in status And you've got that really here in Colossians 1, uh, in verse 22, as we said, uh, to present you wholly unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And yet, verse 28, Paul says that we preach Christ, warning and teaching with wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, he's just said in 22, that for the death of Jesus, he died so as to present us Perfect in his sight But then he says "Well, we preach and we warn And we work with people and we teach And we show wisdom So that we might present Every man perfect in Christ Jesus Well I think what he's saying is That That work of actually Changing us From The sort of people we are Into the persons that God And Jesus look at us as if we are But that work was what Paul was doing. And it's in a sense what we all do. Jesus died so that his people might be presented perfect in his sight at the last day. But we therefore have to play our part. That we, as it were, have to do that work of Christ with him, and in a sense for him. So every bit of effort you make to teach your kids, to teach other people, to warn, to comfort, to teach people wisdom, to get people's head into the Bible, to, to make it relevant for them, to, to engage with them about their personal situations and say, look, you, you see that in the scriptures? All those little bits of effort that we make, this is all actually living out the work of Christ for us and he will be with you and bless you as you try to do that and so Paul says in 24 he says that he's filling up that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church so in a sense the work of Christ is, is complete he died to uh, perfect us and he's counted us as righteous but in another sense he is ongoing in his sufferings for us to bring us to this state of perfection. And insofar as we work with him for the sake of the body of Christ, for the sake of the ecclesia, then we are sharing in his sufferings. And it seems that Paul sees himself as, as you know, eager to, to uh, share in those sufferings. You could look at it that Christ is now suffering and we are as it were living out the ongoing uh, crucifixion sufferings of Jesus uh, with him and for him now in our work for others you know every time you're rejected every time that you're you're blacklisted every time you're hurt by by your your efforts for people being turned down and and that's for sure you try to help people spiritually you'll get a lot of knocks Every time that happens, you are going through that for Christ and with Christ. And his crucifixion sufferings are being shared by you. And if we share in his sufferings, we shall also share in his resurrection. We're living out the whole thing about about baptism. And Paul was even eager, it seems, to, to do this. Um, he was warned by the Holy Spirit, Acts 20 verse 23 that afflictions, and it's the same word here in 24 about the afflictions of Christ on the cross, he was warned that afflictions awaited him if he went up to Jerusalem but he chose to go there, he made a determined decision within his own spirit we're told in Acts 19 to do that, even though he knew that afflictions, the afflictions of Christ awaited him in Jerusalem just as they occurred in Jerusalem for Jesus and he chose to do that he willfully, willingly chose to do that and whilst I'm not saying we should be martyrs going around looking for suffering we are also I, I think wrong if we try to go through life suffering as little as possible, let's put it that way that we see him there on the cross and we are to wish to participate with him not just to look at him as the orthodox look at an icon of Jesus or Catholics look at the image of the crucifix and the crucified Christ on that cross lifted up typically far above your heads you know it can be 10, 20, 30 metres above you as if it's well out of sight you just look up there and think yeah." but instead we are looking right at him and incidentally the idea that he was lifted up way far above all of us on a huge high cross is, is wrong, I mean they, they could uh, get him something to drink on a hyssop reed well a hyssop reed is at the most 50 centimeters long so he was not that far uh, above, the, uh, above the ground, he was very visible and in our reflections upon him, don't see him as way up above you but see him almost on your level now then I've said that Jesus sees us right now as if we are perfect this is his love for us this is in another uh, set of words we could use to describe it this is his justification if you want to use legal language uh, this is him counting us as right but I've said that he is trying to actually make us what we are in status and we should be eager to to be part of that, uh, that process and I think you've got that in verse 11 we are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness so then he is willing to psychologically strengthen us I don't think this is talking about when he talks there about his glorious power as if Uh, this is talking about pulling rabbits out of hats and healing the sick uh, and raising the dead and doing uh, dramatic miracles he's talking about something that happens within within the human mind because this glorious power of his strengthens us unto all patience and joyful endurance that is what we all need strength within and this actually is the whole theme of the chapter in in one sense he says in 21 that we were once alienated and enemies in your minds in your minds by wicked works because the works flow out of the out of the thoughts and we who were once so far away from him in our minds have now been reconciled and he says in verse 18 that Jesus is the head of the body and the head of course is where the mind is that as he thinks so should each of us think who are in him and this of course is the basis of our unity within the body of Christ not because we share the same uh, creed or whatever it might be or uh, view of a statement of faith but the fact that the mind of Christ is in you and it is in me or at least we aspire to that and therefore we are as he says elsewhere of the same mind doesn't mean we think in an identical manner but we have the same mind the same head the same way of thinking in Jesus that we aspire to. And so he says then in verse 27 that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So then this activity of God within the human mind to try to bring us to, to the mind of Christ. This is what is our guarantee. Of the hope of glory. That we will definitely be saved. And as I say. that this is, you know, Romans 8 goes into this in a lot more detail. Talking about how the Lord the Spirit. Does work on the spirit of human beings. By his spirit. Uh, to change our spirit. Our mind. That it might be like his. He counts us as if we are without sin. But he tries to make us like him mentally and his glorious power is there to do this and again in chapter 2 verse 2 again his concern that their hearts their minds might be comforted being knit together in love that this is constantly what he's on about here the mind of Christ and as I started by saying this hymn of exaltation to Jesus which you've got in this chapter from 15 to 18 All this language about the height of Christ's exaltation is so that we might, in our own way, put him uppermost in our thinking, in our whole world view, and in what is deepest in our hearts. Now, back to verse 11, the AV says, strengthened with all might, but it's a... uh, it's a play on words, the Greek literally would be made able, strengthened with all ability strengthened with all strength if you like, but the idea is is really of ability, we are made able with all ability, to be patient and to have endurance with joyfulness, and all the times we think I can't, I can't be patient with him, with her with this situation any longer let alone endure it let alone do so with joyfulness no we are not able but we are strengthened with his might we are made able with all ability to do this and Paul is all the time alluding back to the gospels I've spoken about that uh, at other times that literally every other verse if not probably every verse uh, in these letters especially he is alluding somewhere in the gospels and i think where he has in mind here is the parable in matthew 25 verse 15 where we read the talents were given to each one according to his personal ability kata his ability but according to doesn't uh, kata doesn't have to be translated like that according to his ability it's as if uh, if you've got sort of some natural ability well god will give you uh, a few talents in that area i don't think that's what it's saying could just be saying that the talents given are, Kata, our personal ability. They were given talents not according to their personal ability, but talents which really are their personal ability. And then this would make sense, that those talents um, are the abilities that he's talking about here made able with all ability and so this is a, of course a great theme of Paul's that we are made able rather than having any existing abilities which God as it were um, uses because really we're pretty bankrupt spiritually Now the parallel there in uh, Ephesians 3 because Ephesians and Colossians are very much in parallel uh, Ephesians 3 16-20 talks about the power that works in us far above all we ask or think we are strengthened Ephesians 3.16 with might, with ability by his spirit in the inner man now don't tell me that God is not at work right inside the human heart it says there that he is don't get phased by worrying about Holy Spirit gifts, miracles and the rest of it that's not what he's talking about strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man the power that works in us so we are being promised here psychological power strength within to do what would have been impossible otherwise and so back here in Colossians he he says that um, we're strengthened unto this patient and joyful endurance there in in verse eleven, we who were once alienated in your minds verse twenty one are now changed. Christ is formed in you verse twenty seven and that is the hope of glory. so God is really at work, and he 's not only at work in you personally, he is also at work in other people, and he is using you. As he used Paul to do that work in others. We've uh, said in verse 24 that uh, Paul was there filling up what was lacking in his experience of the sufferings of Christ. So that, verse 28, he might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And yet, verse 22, Christ died to present us perfect, holy, unblameable unreprovable in his eyes and yet mechanically if you like he does that work through people like Paul and through people like you and me so then it is inevitable if we are truly in Christ that we are going to share in his sufferings to share in his afflictions as he puts it there in 24 is inevitable 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 3 we are appointed to afflictions, it's the same word in the parable of the sower Matthew 13:21, tribulation, it's the same word afflictions, come inevitably it seems to imply into the life of the, uh, the, the believer, the person who's responded to the seed of the gospel Acts 14:22, we must pass through much tribulation, same word as here in um, verse 24 of Colossians 1 Uh, Affliction. We must pass through much tribulation to enter God's kingdom. And so he says he glories in tribulation, in affliction. Romans 5, verse 3. And when Paul tried to work with the Corinthians to help them to the mind of Christ, 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he talks about all the affliction that he suffered. In Hebrews 10, 33, it says that when the Hebrew believers first believed, they were ostracized, they were cast out, and they suffered affliction. So all the way through it is the same word. That if we are in Christ it is absolutely inevitable that affliction will come. Because we are to share in his suffering so that we might share in his resurrection glory. Incidentally talking about uh, this word afflictions there in 24. It is also the same word used about uh, the afflictions of the rejected at the day of judgment. Revelation 2 verse 22 talks about how in that day uh, the wicked will be cast into uh, into a bed, uh, and they will suffer great tribulation, ex- great affliction, except they repent of their deeds. And yet Paul says Acts 14:22, through much or great tribulation or affliction, we must enter into the kingdom. Romans 2 also talking about the, uh, the day of judgment. Romans 2 verse 9 has got the, uh, got the same idea and he's talking about how in that day tribulation and anguish tribulation, affliction will come upon every soul of man that does evil so there's a logic here we must suffer affliction and if you try and get out of it in this life you're going to suffer it in the last day when you're rejected so affliction either way it is as simple as that now, that is brought out clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where he talks in verse, verse 4 about all our persecutions and tribulations, afflictions that you endure. And then he talks about their persecution and he says, verse 6, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation or affliction to those who trouble you. In the day when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven With his mighty angels in flaming fire Taking vengeance on them that know not God Who shall be punished So then We suffer affliction And the condemned will suffer affliction At the last day So we have a choice You want it now or then The whole idea that Christianity is to somehow Give you a better ride in life now Is not at all It's a taking up of a cross That's the basic message this is the whole symbolism of baptism, that we sign up to this, that I will suffer with him now and rise again with him. Of course, even in our mortal flesh, as again Paul says in 2 Corinthians, uh, his resurrection life breaks through into our mortal life even now. But the basic picture, the overall picture, is that we suffer now so that we shall live eternally and how do we suffer now how do we uh, live out his crucifixion sufferings well Colossians 1 has told us that Paul says that he does this uh, and suffers these afflictions in order to do Christ's work of presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus so we are to be out looking outward looking from ourselves thinking what can I do for others how can I help them towards God's kingdom that is the whole, the whole thing and that is the essence of of course what was beating in the mind of the Lord Jesus as he hung upon the cross all the time it's for them, I want them to come to the kingdom, now if that is your mentality you will seek in your own way to help others there, not just by preaching but by ministering to those who have believed with the same grace that has been given to you